This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, you got her, dude. She's down. Let's go. Dude, I just shot a deer of a lifetime. Freaking smoked him. One with nature, and if you're a believer, one with God. Definitely gets your heart pumping. Boy, you are in trouble. Fall Obsession Podcast. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another Fall Obsession Podcast episode. I am Sam Thrash, once again hosting you guys for this week's Fall Obsession Podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in to another week. And joining me again this week, we have same guest that we had last week, our own pro staffer, Tim Burgess. Tim, welcome back, man. Thanks, Sam. So if you guys haven't got a chance to listen to last week's episode, Tim came on here with us and talked about some 2021 draw application processes, deadlines, kind of broke a bunch of stuff down. Really educational episode. So if you guys are a non-resident hunter looking to apply for your tags for the first year this uh, this upcoming fall, that's a good episode to go back and listen to. Um, we mainly centered our conversation around Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado, but there's plenty of information in there that's relevant to a lot of folks out there. So go check that one out. This week, however, we're going to be taking it um, somewhere else. Tim, you have some background with uh, getting in on some safaris and stuff like that. So we are going to talk about the process of finding and uh, planning out and preparing for a safari trip, I believe. So, Tim, you got a bunch of stuff prepared for us, I know. Um, So we're going to go ahead and dive right in and... I think a good way to start off, I know you briefly mentioned it kind of at the end of last week's episode, but a great way to start off would be to tell people about what your safari experience is like, what what you have done so far. Absolutely. So uh, a couple of years ago, it was in 2018, um, I went on a mission trip to South Africa with my church, and for part of it, we got to go to uh, Shikaru Lodge, um, 
and do a safari. It's a small hunting preserve um, north of the main cities in, in South Africa, um, but really awesome safari park we went to. We uh, So we get there the first day, and you're treated like absolute royalty at any of these. Basically, you're staying in a four- or five-star style hotel, really nice accommodations at um, really anywhere you want to go, but this one especially. And so you get there, you get settled. Um, ours is a little different because it's just a two-day safari, but still is um, – the whole shebang felt right so we get there we get get there we uh test the rifles that they had to make sure we could all shoot okay and then we head out um in trucks to drive around and look for animals so in our group there's four people that wanted to hunt um two of them wanted ostriches uh, another guy wanted a zebra and i was after a kudu so the first day me and one of the guys that wanted ostriches head out and um he gets a chance to uh, shoot one at about 80 yards um, and does hits it um, a little low And an ostrich obviously is a weird animal to think about shooting because their vitals are basically right above their leg in the middle of their body. So hmm. they're, you know, they're kind of shaped like a ball. Um, at least their body is. So you're trying to shoot in the big thick part of a ball through literally like when their wings are folded in they fold in to be like two feet of feathers. So it's not, it's not an, you'd think, Oh, this looks like a really easy target. Cause it's just like, you're hitting the middle of this thing, but it like bullets don't penetrate like they should. Cause you're going through a ton of bone and a ton of feathers. Um, so he hits them solidly, but the ostrich runs off. And so they, we spend a while tracking it. And after a while they bring up a tracker to help him and me and the professional hunter, um, go off to look for kudu because they had a report of a really big one on a different part of the ranch where the ostrich was kind of heading towards anyway. So they thought, well, if we get up there, we'd scare them back, which ended up what happening is we, we ended up getting up there and uh, I got a running shot at this ostrich at about 120 yards and missed. And at least I scared it back to where they found it. And then um, they had to shoot it, I think, two more or three more times and slit its neck finally to get it to, to bleed out and die. Goodness. But uh, they are humongous animals. Ostriches are. I mean, like uh, the guy that was with us that was hunting him was a like a he's semi-professional weightlifter, like super huge dude. He could barely pick it up like off the ground. And then like to get it into the truck, it took him and four other guys, including myself, to get this thing picked up and into like the back of a, a gator, basically level truck. Uh, so it was, it was difficult. They're just monstrous, monstrous animals and, uh, they're beautiful. Uh, so that was the first night as we do that. And then we went back to, uh, camp and, uh, they call a barbecue a braai. And so we had a large braai where all of us went to and we were um, there and got to eat a lot of different animals, uh, wildebeest, impala, can't remember what all, but we had quite a few different animals that they had saved around from, from previous trips. Uh, and it was just incredible food. Yeah, we just had this great experience under the stars, talking, laughing, eating by the fireside. Um, and so then we went to bed and got up the next morning. Um, we were supposed to be ready to go at 4.30 to be um, at the hunting place by 5. So we'd be there before sunup so we get a lay of it. And then um, ready, ready when sun rose about 6.15. So um, we do that. So this day, uh, on Saturday, it was, 
it was just me going hunting in a separate area and everybody else was going on a, a big five safari. Um, so if you aren't familiar, Africa has, um, a couple different like classifications that people call animals. Um, there's like the big five and then the tiny 10 and a few others kind of like the ways that hunters classify animals. So the big five are elephant, Cape Buffalo, rhino, lion, and leopard. And so the safari they're going on was at a place that has all five of those. Um, So they went to a separate place to go look for all of those animals. Um, They ended up seeing lions and I believe a couple elephants, but that was really it um, out of the big five on their their morning. Um, But basically, like, there are parks that are specifically designed kind of like not really zoos, but more like an open landscape wilderness experience um, for that. And so they'll go, you'll go and get to experience like looking for particular animals that they may have. Um, and they call them game drives. So basically like the whole point of the trip is just to drive around and look for animals. Um, it's a pretty awesome experience. And we definitely did, we did one of those earlier in the week at a different part closer to um, where we were staying for the mission trip part and saw a bunch of lions and stuff. So that was really cool. But anyway, so we head up to this, through this uh, long drive up to this area where we're going to go hunt for kudu and we get up there and we uh, start, we're passing through and there's a bunch of animals running around, warthogs, giraffes, zebras, you name it. Um, Some of the giraffes actually are super curious, like to the point, like they wouldn't like leave us alone. We're driving along and they were like almost chasing our truck. (laughs) Uh, from about 40 yards back like it's just really crazy like they're they're 50 yards off the road and, like came towards us and as we were i mean we're going like five ten miles an hour and then they're just like coming after us like you know trying to figure out what we are and stuff it was it was pretty incredible to see um so we get a chance where we pull up to a spot and there's a, a massive male warthog and so the guy's like if you have any interest in a warthog this is the one to shoot this is like you know, the big boy. So I get out of the truck, got the gun on my shoulder. He's at maybe 40 yards. I'm looking and right then on the bottom right hand of the side of the scope, I see a baby run through. And of course, I'm like, I don't know what a warthog, like mom or dad, like if it's male or female, I just know he told me it's a big one. So I'm like, it's got a baby. I'm not going to shoot this one uh, with it. And then that, like three more babies ran through it. The guy, the guy, the PH told me, well, that's a male. Um, uh, in like a week, he's going to kick those babies out and leave the hurt, leave them anyway. So I was like, Oh, well I should have shot him, but they got into their burrow and that was, that was the end of that. So, um, a little bit farther along, we find an absolute monster kudu. Like I had seen a couple on the trip. So I knew like what a big one was. This one was a really big one. Um, and so I was like, we're on him. We're walking up this trail. He's walking straight away from me. Um, literally like I can only see like his backside to the top of his head, but his, his, you know, his horns are just massive hanging up there and, uh, starts out at like 115 yards. And so I'm just like, well, he just needs to take two steps to the left or two steps to the right. And I can squeeze one in his front shoulder, like right, go through the vitals. We'll be fine. And so I'm waiting and just watching it on him with the rifle with on the, on the shooting sticks, just waiting, waiting, waiting. You know, he keeps walking, keeps walking. Finally at like 370 yards, he takes the two steps I need. Well, then there's a bush right there. Oh, and man. so we, uh, and how the, how it works is like, we're like a, probably maybe a half a mile from the truck at this point. And like, so we run back to the truck, try to drive up and around. 
when we get up to where like we can see him next, he's like a mile and a half away. He had just like gone up this hill and then gone down this other one and just gone. Like you could, we could see him from like this mountaintop we were on, and he was just gone. Like wow, it was so open. I mean, we just see him as one a male and a female. He was just like way out there. So this is crazy. But uh, so we had that chance, and then another chance we had, like kind of getting like right to get to this mountaintop. There was one standing right on top of the mountain, like right as we pull up to it at like 220 is much smaller, but still a, like a respectable large male. Um, and so I pull up on him freehand at 220 before I could even get the safety off. He's off the other side. So I'm like, okay, well that was probably the right thing. Cause if you hit an animal, you pay for it, even if you don't retrieve it. Right. Well, like a kudu starts at like $4,000. Goodness. So I was like, I really, if I'm going to shoot one, I'm going to shoot one and it's going to drop and it's, I'm going to shoot it again. If I have to, and again and again and again <laughs> until I get one, you know, you, like if I do some meat damage, I'm not going to eat it anyway. So I'm not, you know, we're not going to get a chance to eat it because it's the last day I'm there. Um, and so I was like, even if I damage a bunch of meat, like I, you know, I'm taking the animal, I shot. So, uh, we, uh, that all happens then like driving back. So we're like, well, let's head kind of this other way around where we had seen him go and just see, Hey, maybe they stopped that this is a watering hole or ways up. He's like, maybe they stopped there. If not, it's on the way out of this preserve back to our, our home preserve uh, to go look for animals. Let's go. Okay. So that's when he says, when we take this curve, he's like, get the gun out the window, get ready for um, to shoot. And I'm like, okay, you gave me this long lecture about not shooting out for vehicles, not having guns out the window, what's going on. And uh, we get up there and, there's this baboon running up this hill and he's like, whatever you do, just hit him. Like, I don't care where we just need to hit him and kill this baboon. He's like, there's no charge for baboons, whatever. Um, and he had told us the day before, like any baboons you take, no charge, no questions asked, no problem. So it's like, okay. So I just put the crosshairs right on top of his head, squeeze off and hit him. End up hitting him in the lower back and just putting him, putting him on the ground. So we, we drive up as far as we can up this rock slide mountain, basically, uh, before we hike up the rest, get up there, find out he's still alive, um, shoot him with a pistol, finish him off, and then pick him up. And he's like a hundred, like 150, 175 pounds, just a full grown, massive male baboon, and just this big old dude. And so we uh, we take some pictures with that, head back. Uh, baboons, you have to have a special permit to import uh, any part of them in the U.S., and they're fairly difficult, expensive, and timely to get. And I didn't do that on the front end. You have to do it before you hunt them to get the permit and you pay for it, even if you don't end up with an animal. So I was like, I had no intention of shooting a baboon. So I didn't do that. So all of that stayed over there. And basically you can just bring the dried skull home. You can't bring the fur and stuff unless you have like a research permit, which is like a massive, massive mess to get. Um, so next thing. So we go back to the truck, drive from there, end up back at the main place. And, uh, he, he's like, we're looking for kudu, looking for kudu. We just hadn't really seen any. And we take this one curve, and there's this big herd of impalas, like one male and 15 females. And the guy goes, this is like the biggest impala we've ever had on the ranch, the ram. He's like, if you want to take him, this is this is like the biggest impala we've ever had and will probably ever have. It's like, okay. So we get set up. I'm on him at about 65, 70 yards, so not a far shot. Um, taking my time shooting sticks they like know we're there but they're not like responding to it um they're not running or anything 
well, something spooks one of the females far on the right side of him. And so, like, right as I squeeze the trigger, she runs through the scope, and I, I, I couldn't stop. So, like, I squeeze off. I hit her straight through the lower part of the neck. Oh, wow. The bullet bounces then up and hits him in the spine. So wow. she runs off, and I'm like, well, she ran off. Maybe I didn't hit her. But he's laying there, and I can tell I spined him. I was like, I didn't aim that high. So it hit something on the way through. That was my only thought. Or maybe the gun was off because it had been bouncing around in the truck, you know, all day. Like maybe maybe something happened with the scope or whatever. So we get up there, and there's a huge blood trail um, going away from the him. So I'm like, oh, I must have hit her. So we shoot him, finish him off because um, he's spined and everything. And we walk over, and yeah, I hit her clean through the jugular, and she just bled out in like a 15 yards. Just all the blood left her body, and she's laying there. So I end up with two impalas, which you have to pay for each animal you shoot. They don't really care if it's male or female, so it kind of stinks that you really want to be careful uh, when you shoot something. Luckily, an impala is like four or five hundred bucks most places, so it's not like the end of the world expensive. Right. But you just doubled your bill. Yeah. So, uh, it's definitely, it was, you know, I'm really happy. I ended up with both of them getting, um, the back half of his hand, um, of his hide tanned. And then I have his head and a shoulder mount. And then I got her entire hide tan. So I have a hole in Paula, um, hide tanned and it's just beautiful. So it's uh, in the, in now it's a really cool story and a piece that I have that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, then I was like, well, this was some extra money I spent that I didn't really mean to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it all worked out in the end. <laughs> Absolutely. Then then we uh, went back and had lunch, and everybody else was back there, and we actually ate some of the ostrich that the people the night before shot. Um, usually it's best to let it hang a couple days to, you know, let it, let it tenderize and whatever, but they, they wanted to make sure we ate some of the animals we take, took while we were there. Cause there'd be no chance of us eating mine. So they, once they heard we shot an Impala, they, they got, uh, every Impala filet they had at, back at the ranch and cooked them all up for lunch too. That way we could have Impala filet. Oh, awesome. Um, and it was so good. Um, some of the best meat I've ever had we had there. Awesome. Well, and I, I don't want to jump jump ahead into details and planning and stuff like that, but while we're talking about the meat and everything, for an African hunt like this, what is the typical, uh, I know probably a common question is, well, what happens to the meat? So if you, Absolutely, if you yeah. want to answer that question for us now while we're going ahead and talking about it, that'd be great. So it's kind of safari place by safari place. Um, the Shikario I went to partners with a bunch of schools locally. Um, they and they um, help those schools and they give it to those schools. Some of it they keep for themselves, like to feed basically the, the staff, the guests. Um, some of it they send home with their staff, uh, but a lot of it they send to local schools um, and help that way. And so they they make a substantial donation. I know a lot of places will will keep it local, keep it with their their place, and then give it to their staff, and also sell it at a meat markets. Because over there, like at restaurants, you can order any an just about any animal that they have in South Africa at a restaurant. Like you, we went to some, and you could order oryx, you could order impala, you could order black buck, you could order wildebeest, you could order this, that, you know, just about anything in South Africa you could eat at a restaurant. Um, not like it is here where you. Um, you know, you can't sell wild game, um, 
I mean, there they totally can. So you can order like, you know, ostrich fillet cooked at a restaurant. And I did that several times because that was probably my favorite meat to eat was actually ostrich. Oh, really? Uh, it's super lean. The fillets were just, I don't know if it's just the way they cooked them or what, but the three different times I ordered it at a restaurant, it was the best thing I've ever eaten for sure was ostrich. Huh. Kind of moving into our our topic of discussion on setting up a hunt like this for those who are considering it or maybe going on their first one here coming up walk us through the process of finding a safari because i mean you go to any of the trade shows or anything there's a ton of ton of vendors yep. and, and folks there how do you pick one what do you look for um and, and what's the process for booking yeah so it kind of trade show is a great way um, to meet them and definitely what i would say is if you go there talk to them once talk to the people there they probably actually work um and might even be phs if they have a ph there see if you can talk to ph and talk and um ph is a professional hunter that's what sorry i should have said that but no, it's a guide so if they have a ph there definitely try to talk to them like hey what's a realist expectation uh this is the um animals i'm looking for so like before you go and if you think hey i want to do safari this would be like the three to five things i would have set aside i would do what animals am i really interested in and so uh, make a list of like your top 10 because realistically you're going to get over there and if you think oh i'm going to shoot one or two animals you're going to have a day where you might shoot five animals you know i shot three in a day and we weren't trying like and we were done at noon uh so you might think like, Hey, my budget is this and I'm only going to be able to shoot like one or two things the whole week. You're, I mean, it's, you might be able to stretch your week out, but it's going to be kind of a boring week to, unless you really hunt for something you really, really want. That's really rare. Uh, but most likely you'll want to be like, have a list of like, Hey, these are 10 things I'd be willing to shoot. And then have a list of things like my wife has a rule. Like these are things you're not ever allowed to hunt in your life, no matter what. So check with your spouse if there's anything like that. Like for me over there, the rule is like giraffe and zebra um, are my, like I'm not allowed to shoot because my wife said so. <laughs> so let them know that ahead of time. That way in case there is like, you know, like the Roland Ward SCI best scoring giraffe ever. And they're like, hey, you should really shoot this. This is the biggest one ever. Let them know like, hey, I'm not going to shoot a giraffe no matter what. Or I'm not going to shoot a zebra. Or I'm not going to shoot whatever it is. Um just so they know that so they don't like take you into a situation where it gets kind of awkward to explain like, Hey, this isn't something I'm allowed to do. Um, and so just something that conversation to have. Another thing besides animals is what do you want to do with whatever animals you do take? Do you want, do you want tanned? Do you want shoulder mounts? Do you want Euro mounts? Do you want full mounts? Um, and ask, you know, have an idea of what you want. And then you can ask the outfit like, Hey, you guys should know how to do this. Is this something like you regularly do? What taxidermist do you partner with? Cause almost all of them will have a taxidermist they partner with. Um, just for sake of dealing with the same people and getting a better price on their end. Um, and then usually the taxidermist gets them, you know, throws them back some bones or whatever on their own animals or whatever, if they have like, you know, volume clients, whatever. So right. definitely something there is figure out, do they have a taxidermist they work with? And then the last question is, in my opinion, is do you want to bring your own gun or bow or do you want to borrow? 
bringing a gun takes a lot of permit and time. I've looked at it. I'm thinking about maybe doing it next year. I haven't decided one way or the other um, because I'm trying to price out. Is it cheaper to buy the permit or buy and rent their ammo uh, depending on how much I shoot? So it's kind of like a toss up. Like, well, it may be cheaper, but it's also, you know, if something happens, you, you might lose your gut. You know, if, you, if the, your import, import permit was set up wrong, they may take your gun and that, you know, wherever it is. So definitely if you're going to do it, make sure that whoever you go with has a import permit specialist and work with them. Don't try to do it yourself. Have the specialist work it out. Um, it's not easy paperwork um, after looking it over for a while now. I'm, I'm more confused than I was when I started. So <laughs> uh, definitely something if you're going to bring your own stuff talk to them have them if they don't have somebody that does it for like does it as their job you probably just want to rent um because it it may get done wrong so um, those would be my big three um and of course the fourth one that everybody's question is budget so uh that's the one that's like the least fun to talk about but if you do things right you can probably really stretch your budget and so like i said going to a show is a great way to meet one Probably the best way to get a good deal on one is if you go to an auction um, for like Safari Club or Pheasants Forever. Um, those kind of places will often get safaris donated. And most of them, the safari is completely donated to whatever nonprofit it is. And so they're just trying to make anything they can get off of it. Um, that ended up happening with the safari I'm going to go on next year. Uh, we It was donated to a Pheasants Forever. My dad bought it. The safari is worth like $18,000 for what it includes. It's for four hunters and four non-hunters to go all of our accommodations for five days, all of our meals, all of our drinks, um, transportation to and from the airport, basically everything there. Plus, we get $1,000 in credit towards animals and $500 in credit towards taxidermy for each of the four hunters. Wow. So right there, that's six thousand dollars. Well, we paid eleven hundred dollars for this package because look, it just was at an auction and nobody wanted it. So we got a screaming deal on it. Wow, that's impressive. And so it's it's definitely a good way to look at it. If you are going to do that, call up the banquet two weeks before and say, "Hey, do you guys have an or the banquet chair? Their number will be listed on their website or whatever." Say, "Hey, do you guys have any safaris or you know this is a good way to get a hunt in Argentina the same way a lot when I." Um, at most of those banquets get at least one or two dove hunts in Argentina donated. So if that's on your list too, definitely look at that as well. Call them and say, hey, do you have one of these? And they'll probably say, yeah. And then you'll say, who's the outfitter or whatever. And you can look them up. Most of the outfitters, at least the reputable ones, will have a way to contact either resources or references, resources, or have like a U.S.-based representative you can talk to. Um, and so like it's really easy to make a phone call and talk to somebody the if you're in trade show time so basically like january to march each year they probably have somebody stateside at a show somewhere and if you're really serious about going on a safari you know a cheap plane ticket to dallas a one-night hotel room to go to like dallas safari club show to talk to somebody is probably not out of the question in my reason in my thoughts because um you're gonna spend anywhere from eight to $20,000 for a safari, probably just realistically between all of the logistics, airfare and everything. So spending, you know, three, 400 bucks to go get a cheap hotel, get a cheap flight, uh, to, uh, to where they're at, talk to them. It's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, 
just a just a thought there. So to kind of circle back to budget, um, it kind of starts with your airfare. Once you have picked a place, they'll have like a set deposit. Most places it's like a thousand bucks. And then they'll have like a daily fee and a fee per animal. And so really you want to dive into what does the daily fee cover? Most places it'll cover basically like lodging, food, transportation to and from the airport, and your guide. It might be more if you want to have like your own guide. Whereas if you if there's two of you per guide, it's usually cheaper than one per guide. Um, if you're going with your buddy, it's way more fun to have two of you per guide. Um, unless you're both really serious and want to hunt stuff that isn't the same at all. It's way more fun to be out there with your buddy than it is, um, to be one-on-one unless you're like, Hey, I want to go hunt this one specific animal. He wants to go hunt this one specific animal. They're not the same. And so then it might make sense, but otherwise it's more fun to just, um, have your guide together. That way you guys get to experience everything together. Gotcha. So that's a good way to save a little bit of money. Usually it's the difference a hundred, 200 bucks a day. So, you know, over the course of a week, that's thousand dollars. Probably you're saving right there um, by having just the same guide. Interesting. Very cool. Uh, airfare is probably the one where you can either do really well or do really bad on this. Uh, one thing, if you aren't loyal to any one airline, if you're trying to make like, Hey, I only have X days to go. Delta offers a direct flight from Atlanta to Johannesburg. That's the main airport to OR Tombo um, in South Africa where people will pick you up from. Some may have you go to um, most likely it'll be OR Tombo where they'll want you to land to pick you up. But yeah, Delta does a direct from Atlanta to there and it's like way faster than going any other way time-wise. The way I went last time was Denver to Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. to Ethiopia, Ethiopia to South Africa. That flight took like we left on we got there like a day and a half later with the time changes. Wow. Is, you know, it's like in total time difference. It was like 40 to 50 hours, something like that is crazy. We got left in like the night one night, flew to D.C., left there first thing in the morning and got to South Africa like the following afternoon. Wow. So like it's basically like almost two days we gave up and travel just to get there that way. Um, it was fairly affordable way to do it, um, but definitely something to think about. If your spouse is going to go the way I'm looking at doing it this year, um, United does a lot of flights where you go here to Germany, here to Austria or here to or London. And then you have like a 10 to 12 hour layover there. And then you fly down and on the way back, you have the same thing where you have a 10 to 12 hour layover. And so you could have like a mini, mini trip out to Europe out of the deal if you want. Um, And if you, and there's a way with your flight for just a little bit more money to extend it where you have change that couple hour layover to a couple day layover. um, And then you get a European mini vacation out of the deal as well. So definitely something to think about if your wife's like, Hey, I don't really want to do this, but I'd love to go to Europe. You can be like, well, we can squeeze it in the middle, and it's gonna only cost us like three, four hundred bucks to add like three or four days in Europe. Airfare-wise, it's gonna cost obviously hotel and whatever you do there, but um, that's a good way to get a cheaper experience in Europe that you may not get otherwise. Because airfare is probably the number one thing for cost going here to there, anyways. Gotcha. So what other kind of travel tips do you have for somebody looking to go on a trip like this? 
so one thing and most places will do your laundry for you so you don't need to pack a ton of clothes um like if you're going to be there for five for five or six days you probably only need like three or four days worth of clothes because they will probably do your laundry double check with your outfitter but most places will have it included in your day rates to do laundry once or twice once a, once a day maybe even twice a day if you need it uh, so pack a little bit lighter in that regard bring your boots bring multiple pairs of socks that's the one thing don't go short on bring your your hunting in a real hunting area it's rocky you know it's it's got some you it's not like walking through sand and stuff you're gonna want real boots um going going on any safari so definitely don't i know it takes up some weight in your bag and all that kind of stuff but definitely bring that bring a camera def um your phone is nice, but having a real camera, at least, especially if you have someone who's not hunting with you and it's just going to take pictures, they're going to really appreciate having a camera. The one thing I didn't bring that I really wish I would have last time was some binoculars. Um, some places may have them for you to borrow. The place I was at did not. Um, at least we didn't ask about it, so we didn't have them ahead of time. I'm guessing if we had, we might have been able to borrow some from somebody. But uh, definitely think about bring in some binoculars if you have really nice ones maybe not bring maybe not bring those but even just um, a cheaper pair can make a difference because you can see stuff a lot better that otherwise you wouldn't get to those would be my my big travel travel tips most likely you're going to get two bags free on your international leg so weight and bag size isn't a huge deal um, and depending on how you book you may get that for your domestic legs if you have to go somewhere like in the states before you take the big pond jump. Um, and so definitely think about that. Um, like you, the more stuff you have, the more stuff you have to keep track of, but you also might, you know, if you want to bring a camera, you could bring a full size bag, like padded bag or something to put it in. If you don't want to carry it on. Gotcha. And then, um, kind of circling back to cost. The other thing to think about is like I said, what you want to do with the animals and then shipping, like, I never like I thought shipping would be expensive, but I really didn't have any clue how much shipping and import fees would actually be. Uh, so my shipping was like six hundred dollars, which doesn't sound that bad, and it's really not that terrible for a shoulder mount and two hides. Well, then the import fees on it, like cut through customs and um, like here to like inspect it and stuff, was like another six hundred dollars. Wow. And so basically whatever you do i would say add fifteen hundred dollars per animal for shipping and for custom fees uh, it may be less to like than that but i would plan on that for shipping and, ex and export and import fees and then taxidermy i would say probably plan on a thousand dollars plus per animal so realistically you're probably looking at 2500 per animal on the back end which you don't have to pay all of it like right up front. Usually most places will let you pay the shipping like when it's ready and pay half of the taxidermy up front and then half when it's done. So you could be like, hey, I know I have this com this like I know I have this much money. I know I can make this much more. So you can like plan on like spending a little bit more later. But don't be too but definitely have that in mind and know like you gotta do this, otherwise your stuff's just gonna sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there um, until it finally gets gets taken care of so definitely something to know and plan for on the back end 
Um, another thing on that is you can only ship your animals in one box. Like they won't let you put anybody else's, your spouses, hunting partners, no, nothing else can come in that box um, due to customs regulations. So like if they try to, some places that are a little bit shadier may talk about that. It's illegal. All your stuff's going to get seized. You're probably never going to get it back. So if they say something like that, you don't want to either at least not deal with them and definitely you don't want to deal with, uh, do it because it's not going to, it's not going to work out in your favor. Yeah. I got you. So what, in your opinion, are good prices for certain animals? I know, I know, like, like we mentioned before, there's tons of vendors, tons of outfitters out there, vendors when you go to the shows. What, what should folks be looking for in regards to price point um, for some of the animals that you have experience with at least? Okay. So it kind of depends where in you're going South Africa, usually prices are a little bit cheaper than the rest of Africa. So if you're going somewhere else, these numbers may not actually apply. Um, like for on the, on the high end, like Cape Buffalo, anywhere from like eight to 12,000 to 13,000 is probably fair, depending on exactly what the experience is and what they include in that hunt. Sometimes with like, K buffalo and other big five animals they include your lodging and stuff in that price um so i would say anywhere from like 12 to fourteen thousand is probably fair um and more common animals um kudu they're usually um by size by uh, horn size um the general like kind of rule of cutoff is 55 inches above or below um, so below 55 inches, it's probably going to be about 3000 over 55 inches. It's going to be anywhere from 4,000 to 5,000 is probably a fair price. Um, other common animals, impalas, most places will be around $500. Um, ostrich should be about 800. Um, if they're specialty breeds, like, so impala, like the normal ones are like orange and white. Uh, orange white and like a lighter orange they also have like black and white flanked and some other specialty like colorings those get much more expensive um and probably anywhere from two to four times the price is fair if it's a specialty coloring um gemsbuck or oryx um usually about 1500s a lot of people are really popular those are really popular with most hunters they've got massive horns uh, really beautiful animals white they got the the black face with the white striping around it and they've got gray bodies and they're just beautiful um otherwise um uh, some other stuff that i have experience with while i was there water buck um another kind of underrated animal in my opinion a lot of people don't think they're as pretty as they are they're like a gray these really big um horns that have like these ridges in them and they're just they're beautiful about 2500 for a large water buck is fair. Wildebeest, anywhere from 1000 to 1500 is a fair price. About the same for zebras. Warthogs should be about five to 600 um, That's pretty standard for those. Um, if you get into more specialty animals, like the Tiny 10. So Tiny 10 is a bunch of really small antelope. Like the biggest one is like 100 pounds. Most of them are much smaller than that. Um you may only you may be at one of the few places that have certain ones like a Sunni, which is really small and really rare, might be like three to five thousand dollars for something that's like the size of a, a very small dog. So definitely keep in mind like, hey, know what things are 
um, when you go have an idea ahead of time, like, Hey, this is what this is and what it might cost. Um, even if you're not interested in it, it's in case you run into like a world-class one, another really beautiful animal that, that I'm personally thinking about next time is a red heart beast. They're this beautiful red color with these really odd horns that kind of go up and then curl back almost like a pronghorn, not exactly, but sort of similar. Um, and they're usually like 1500 to 2000, um, for a, a red heart beast. Wow. It's a, it's an investment all the way around for sure. No doubt about Abs- it. Absolutely. And, and Africa is just an amazing place. It will change you. It will get in your, get in you. And, um, I hate to say this, but when you go, you will want to go back. Um, <laughs> so, uh, if you, if you get the chance to go, go. And just know, like, hey, ten years from now, like, I'm gonna want, I'm gonna want to go back, like, next year, but I, it's not possible. So, have it set aside. We're like, hey, this may not be my only time. Like, I want, like, so you may only get one chance, but you may not. So, plan on, like, hey, there's the, there's these ten things I want. I can afford four of them now. Well, think you can save and go another time um, to get them. So, don't like over overstretch yourself too much, because um, it's there's a chance to go back and you'll want to go back. So what other, what other side trips are there? Like if you go to Africa on a safari or something like that, what other side trips should folks consider? So within South Africa, um, like I said, most, most likely you'll fly into Johannesburg, which is the capital city. Um, South Africa actually has three capitals. It's kind of weird set up, but Johannesburg um, and Pretoria are basically side by side. Um, They have two of the main capitals. The other capital is Cape Town. Um, and it's on the the Cape on the west side of Africa. Uh, it has Table Mountain, which is one of the like ten wonders of the world. Every time that comes out for for natural wonders, um, it has a ton of really awesome like uh, wine yards and stuff like that there. So if you're looking for like, hey, I just want to have a reasonable um, trip to go while I'm there, it'd only be a couple days. That would be something I definitely would talk would talk about. Um, I didn't do it the last time I went. Everyone else in my group did. They spent, I think, three days there, and I think their total cost a piece was like for lodging and airfare was like six hundred bucks. Um, they got a really reasonable flight from Tombo from um, Johannesburg to there, and then uh, had a really nice place to stay that was really cheap. Um, the other thing there is restaurants are really affordable. Um, the pricing is weird because the exchange rate is kind of crazy, um, but it it's really affordable to eat somewhere uh, like a, a really nice steak dinner will be like 15 to 12 12 to 15 dollars um, if you get drinks it might go up to 20 dollars uh, for like the best meat you've ever eaten huh. so it's definitely like if you're there and you have some extra time don't be scared to like go to a nice 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 restaurant and you'll be like okay with exchange rate and like my credit card fee for doing international this is less than i would have paid for this at home for sure uh, wow good to know and then um, tipping there um, that's the other thing um, for safari the traditional is 10% of whatever your total bill is so keep that in mind too so if you get a great deal you're still going to have to tip like based off of the total so keep that in mind and you may want to tip like the trackers and stuff directly so um, I would recommend bringing some cash or the other option, if you have a debit card that has a low international fee, when you're there, just find an ATM and 
pull money out. That's what I did. Um, and I just used local money there to, to tip. And it was, it's easier because it's harder to, you're not going to be able to make change with us current. You know, if you have a bunch of twenties and hundreds, um, you may want to tip like, you know, 150. Well, you don't have the ability. So you end up tipping to more than that or whatever. So, um, it's nice to have some local currency and getting it from an ATM there isn't going to cost you that much money. Uh, I think my fee was like $4 to do it for us bucks, uh, to get out like $200 in their 200, 200 us in their currency. So it was very reasonable in my opinion for the, the, the easiness that it was. And that's really the, the big things there is just be ready for that tipping and, uh, just go and have the experience cause it's, life-changing very good thank you well man again i appreciate you coming on this week to to talk about some of these details about african safaris and everything but before we cut you loose i know we asked you um our typical guest questions and everything in last week's episode about your favorite hunting memory and bucket list and all that but um while we're on the topic of safaris if you had to give one big piece of advice to somebody exploring this for the first time exploring this opportunity what what would you wrap it up into well i gotta do two one is it's gonna be one of the best experiences of your life so don't like it's gonna be expensive it's gonna be a pain to set up but it's worth it it's absolutely worth the time the overtime to get the money to go the uh the extra stress it takes to get it's worth it uh, would be number one and two do your research ahead of time find the right place for you um, I'll include with Sam, I'll send him a link to the two places I went and how to find like online auctions, um, that have all the like SCI auctions and everything on it, how to get possibly a better deal, but really do the research just cause it looks like a great place and everything about it's awesome. And every review says it's great. It may not be the right fit for you. You know, you may want a like outback camping safari and the place you're going is a five-star hotel. That's not going to be the, you're not, I mean, you, you'll probably enjoy it. It's still going to be fun, but it's not what you may have wanted. So do a little bit of research, figure out like if you want a camping, like Outback Safari, there's places that do that. And it might, it might be a little harder to find, um, than like a nicer hotel style or like lodge style safari. Uh, but if that's what you want, find it and go do it. It's, uh, it's on my list. It's probably, it's not my next one. It'll, I'm hoping it'll be my, my third one, but I'm hoping to do it as well. Very cool. Thank you, Tim. Well, guys, I appreciate y'all tuning in to this week's podcast. I know Tim has done most of the talking in this week's episode, and I've been learning and listening with you guys, and that's just because he is the the expert, and I myself have not gone on a safari, so we're happy to have him on this week to share his knowledge and expertise with us. Hope that you guys got something out of it. If you have not already, hit that follow and subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening to your podcast on. Uh, We are on all the major podcast platforms, our website, fallobsession.com and YouTube, so be sure that you subscribe. We have a new episode that comes out every single Monday morning, Um, so fresh content weekly for you guys. Go to our website, fallobsession.com. That is the hub. That's where you can find all of our content, wild game recipes, videos, video series, 
gear reviews, podcasts, we got it all on there. Um, and especially right now, we are doing our 2021 turkey hunt competition. You can be anywhere in the United States and you can enter to compete uh, in that this year. The hunt has started. However, you can still register and sign your team up um, all the way through May 9th. So be sure that you guys uh, get in on that. There are actual cash prizes for three different winners and it is possible to win more than one of those cash prizes. So be sure that you guys check that out. Again, all the information for that is on our website, fallobsession.com. And if you haven't already, go to our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to put out more and more uh, videos on a weekly basis, multiple videos a week. So be sure you check all those out. And we appreciate you guys tuning in to this week's podcast. Tim, thank you again, sir. Thanks for having me, and good luck to all the turkey hunters. Yes, sir. It's that time of year, and good luck to all you guys out there in the turkey woods. Thanks for listening, guys. We will catch you guys again next week for another follow-up session podcast episode. In Wild Country rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment